0: Support for This Is Love comes from BetterHelp Online Therapy. If I had an extra hour each day, I might spend it just being still and reading. No phone anywhere in sight. Figuring out what feels good isn't always easy. Therapy can help you suss out what is most important and make the time for it. And BetterHelp can make that entire process convenient and painless. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist in no time at all. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash thisislove today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash thisislove. There was a story in the news last summer you may remember. This is just an incredible story. It was about a man named Michael Packard, a commercial lobsterman on Cape Cod in Massachusetts.
1: What it is
2: is a frightening and very heroic battle for survival.
0: Fisherman Michael Packard was diving for lobster 45 feet down in Cape Cod when his day took an unexpected turn.
2: It's really so unbelievable. I think a lot of people are going to be
1: talking about this. Packard says he never saw it coming, felt a bump, and everything
0: turned dark. On June 11, 2021, an emergency call was placed from a boat in Cape Cod Bay. When you heard about the whale story, did you think someone's pulling my leg? This must be a joke. Oh, no. Michael's mother, Ann Packard. I
3: had been out, I don't know where, I got, and I came in, and two of my girls were here. I said, it's all right, Ma, but Michael's in the hospital. He got in a whale's mouth. I, what next?
0: We visited Ann Packard at her house in Provincetown, a popular tourist destination that sits on a very skinny piece of land, sticking out into the ocean. Ann is one of the 3,000 people who live here year-round. She's been in this house for almost 45 years. It's where Michael spent much of his childhood. Did he always like the water? Did he always like fishing?
3: Oh, he always loved fishing. It, it wasn't just something that happened. It just was a natural thing, and he was drawn to the pier, drawn to it. He always liked the water.
0: He's, it's just what he dreamed about. Anne told us that when Michael was little, he would paint pictures of the ocean. She showed us one that still hangs in her bathroom. See the little
3: creatures and so on? Yeah. And I used to, when he was little, I used to tell him a story about Sharky. And we'd be on the beach. And Sharky was a magical fish. And he would take Michael on him. Take him on adventures. And I would make up all these stories under under the water. And then Sharky would bring him back. And everyone was so jealous.
0: Anne says all her kids spent time on the water. They grew up around it. The ocean was their front yard. But with Michael it was always a little different. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love.
2: I moved to Provincetown when I was 10 years old from New Jersey.
0: Michael Packard.
2: My parents were divorced when I was 10, and as soon as they got divorced, my mom moved to Provincetown because her parents, my grandparents, had a house there, and we'd come up and spend the summers up here.
0: After the divorce, Michael's father moved to Europe.
2: For me, it was a pretty um, turbulent time.
0: When you got here, did you spend a lot of time, I mean, it's Provincetown, so water's all over, but did you spend a lot of time near the water? Do Do you remember the first time that you went fishing?
2: Oh, absolutely. When we first moved here, my mom rented a house right on the water. And even before we moved here, I was the fishing bug was already in me. I mean, I remember in kindergarten, there was a creek, and during recess, I would go down and catch crayfish. There was always a pond or something like that where I'd bring my fishing rod and catch sunfish or frogs or. I was always occupied, and always just loved it.
0: One night, a family friend took Michael fishing for striped bass. Michael caught three. A few days later, the friend returned with about $50 that he got for selling Michael's fish. That's when Michael knew he wanted to be a commercial fisherman. At the time, Anne was trying to make a living as a painter. She says she was struggling, but had pieced together enough money to get Michael a boat for his 13th birthday.
2: I woke up and went downstairs and went out on the deck, like I always do to look out on the water, and I see above the high tide mark this brand-new 14-foot fiberglass, lap straight, beautiful boat with a brand-new 9.9 Mercury on it. I was like, what the heck is that? And my mom comes out, and she goes, Happy birthday. At your boat.
3: And I didn't see him for months. <laughs> and he fished and fished, and he did well. He'd come in, he'd get any kind of fish, he'd go sell it on the street here. He had, I've even got one of the signs of his, his fish for sale
2: here. And once you bought me that boat, I was off. And I would go out, 13, 14 years old, I'd go out at the bass bite. at night, so I'd I'd go out at sunset and I'd be gone all night.
0: Anne's house, the one Michael grew up in, sits right on Cape Cod Bay. Her windows look out over the water. When Michael went out fishing, Anne would watch for him from her living room.
3: So, he just went out and out and and I would sit here and worry and worry and I wasn't allowed to call call the coast guard. It would get dark and I'm here with my binoculars looking out. Is that Michael? Is that Michael? And I'd see him come around the point.
2: And I, I could finally breathe. She let me, she let me do it and just gave me the freedom. And I mean, I think now with two sons, I would never in a million years let my 13 year old go out by himself in a boat all night long. But she let me do it because she knew she knew that I loved it so much. And, and she knew that it kept me out of trouble, too. You know, I wasn't on the street corner getting in trouble. I was out fishing. But yeah, she was so worried.
0: So you could sit right where you're sitting right now and look out and see him come right around that and think,
3: and that's Michael. And that was uh, relief. I loved the when the window came because he couldn't go out. But I worried. And a few things happened to him out there.
0: When he was 15, Michael was out by himself on his boat at the very tip of Cape Cod. He had pulled his boat up on the beach, but had forgotten to anchor it. It got pulled out to sea. Michael took off his clothes and went in after it.
2: I was exhausted. I I couldn't make it back. I couldn't make it to the boat. And I don't know how long I was in the water. And... I'd gotten sucked out so far. The boats that were coming into Provincetown H- Harbor were, were, were inside by the beach and taking their regular route and couldn't see me. I was waving and waving. And, and this one guy, he happened to just swing wide for some reason. And he saw me, and he pulled me out of the water bare-ass naked, so what what are you doing out here? And he saved my life.
3: And I took an ad out in the local paper thanking him for saving Michael. This skinny, naked little kid.
0: Did it make you nervous to go back out, or did it stop you at all? No,
2: not at all. It was just a stupid mistake. Made me make sure I anchor the boat wherever I am.
0: <laughs> Michael now makes his living fishing mostly for tuna and mackerel. He drags for clams. And for three months every summer, he catches lobster. These days, most lobstermen on Cape Cod use lobster traps, which they fill with bait, lower to the ocean floor, and mark on the surface with buoys. A few days later, they come back, pull the traps up, see what they've caught, and add new bait before lowering them again. But Michael catches lobster by hand, a less common and more dangerous way to do it. He dives along the ocean floor, searching for lobsters. And when he sees one, he grabs it with his hands.
2: As of now, I'm the only diver left. Everybody else got out of the business. They, got, they basically got too old. And there hasn't been any young recruitment, I think because of the... the the white sharks, because the sharks have showed up in the last seven or eight years. It was never an issue before. There was never white sharks on Cape Cod.
0: When did you start seeing
2: the sharks? Probably about eight years ago. I've only seen three in the past eight years. I'm sure they've seen me hundreds of times. But the three times I saw them was really scary.
0: How close were they?
2: like 20 feet away, it's an extremely dangerous profession. Um, I think about it a lot, but I, I, I try not to, I, I can't dwell on it, you know, this is what I love, it's, it's a different world down there, it's
0: in a whole different world. Do you think he's happiest when he's on the water? The happiest? We'll be right back.
1: Now streaming only on Disney Plus.
0: My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour.
1: Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift-Pierre's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus.
0: We met Michael at 5.45 one morning Hello. at his fishing boat, the J&J, that's named after his two sons. Are we late? No. Okay, good. He keeps his boat in Provincetown at a dock across the harbor from his mother's house
2: my favorite time. Going out in the morning, just relaxing on the way to the spot, hit back, have my coffee, cigarette, wondering what to expect for the day.
0: Well, you certainly have a pretty view to look at. Yes, we do. Is this a a lobster pot we're coming off? Yes. So this is someone who does it the other way? Exactly. We first headed to a place called Hatches Harbor, where there's a steep drop-off on the ocean floor, close to the shore. Lobsters like to walk along the ridge in the summer. It's so interesting because we really aren't far offshore at all right now. We're really very close to, you could swim in if you needed to. Yeah, I mean, we're we're 100
2: yards off the beach here and we're in 120 feet of water. And this is what makes it
0: so perfect for what you do.
2: Exactly. Because it's just a steep,
1: huge incline.
0: How many lobsters will he bring up if it's been good down there? Uh,
1: up to 100 pounds in one dive, actually.
0: Josiah Mayo is Michael's first mate and is always with him when he dives. How long have you been working, doing this with him?
1: Uh, I think I started in 2007 or 8. It's a little more specialized than most jobs on deck because he disappears and I have to run the boat.
0: While Josiah steers the boat, Michael gets ready to dive. He puts on a dry suit and wraps a belt of weights around his waist. Oh, look at all those seals. The seals are the main reason there are more sharks on Cape Cod. The sharks eat them. Have you been seeing more seals over the years? Absolutely. Whenever I see a herd of
2: seals like that, Even if I wanted to dive right here, I wouldn't dive. So I I avoid the congregations of the seals because I know the sharks are just waiting right outside that herd of seals for some stupid seal to go off the beach just a little bit too much so he can get a bite.
0: Michael will dive for lobsters as many as five or six times a morning, sometimes just for a few minutes, and sometimes for as long as 40. Filling as many bags as he can. Michael says it's the most lucrative type of fishing he does, and that he can make his whole year's income between June and August when the demand for lobsters is high. When he comes to the surface, he hands his bags to Josiah on the boat to sort. How often do you get uh... pinched? Yeah,
1: pinched? Not too often. You know, I'll get little mini pinches that aren't a big deal, but I, I did have my first really good one in a while.
0: Josiah's most important job is to watch for bubbles that's how he tracks where Michael is and knows he's safe and so your job is to kind of follow him and see
1: just follow his bubble trail and uh, try to try not to lose him but I lose him pretty often and find him rather soon afterwards usually if I'm lucky he's really good at
2: what he does because it's it's pretty tough to find. To follow bubbles you know it's rough out and all you're looking at is this tiny little bubbles and, and so he's really good at it but I've had mates over the years that were terrible and they lose me it takes a special kind of person to do this job mm-hmm.
0: Tell me about what happened last year on June 11th.
2: Mm. That day was just a normal day like any other day.
0: Michael had just gone down for his third dive of the morning.
2: And about halfway, halfway down to the bottom, I was in like 40, 45 feet of water. I get just hit by this, felt like a freight train or a bus. And everything went black. And then all of a sudden I I felt just water rushing around me and movement. And I instantly thought to myself, is is this a shark? And I I instantly knew it wasn't a shark because I didn't feel any cuts. And very, very quickly I knew I was in a whale's mouth.
0: We'll be right back. Michael Packard says he knew he was trapped in a whale's mouth. His legs were pinned between the whale's jaws. So I'm in there
2: thinking, oh my God, Michael, this is, this is it. You finally, this is how you're going to go because I'd struggled so hard to try to pry myself out. And there was no way, I knew no way in hell I was gonna pry those jaws open or pry that mouth open. And thought about my wife and my kids and my mom. And I was like, oh my God, can I get out of this?
0: And then Michael realized his oxygen hose had been knocked out of his mouth.
2: And thank God I could maneuver myself to find the hose and stick it back in my mouth while I'm enclosed in this whale's mouth. And he's moving very fast because he's very agitated. And he's moving along, shaking and going up and down, trying to get me out because he didn't like it at all. I was just wedged in there. While I was in there, I also thought... I said, "Okay, I'm trapped in here, I'm going to die. But I still have like 40 more minutes of air. So I could be in this whale's mouth until I run out of air and just suffocate, which is a really scary thought. And then I felt like he was going up. And then all of a sudden, he broke the surface and started
1: shaking his head back and forth. Suddenly, I saw just kind of a slashing of white water.
0: Josiah had been watching from the boat the whole time.
1: And I, then I had a thought. I was like, "Oh, this is it. This is this is the shark. You know, something that we've thought about and worried about for years now with the coming of the sharks." But then I realized I'd worked on whale watch boats for most of my childhood, and I realized, "Oh, that's a that's a humpback whale. That's a head of a whale." I thought, "Holy shit, he's being." attacked by a whale or something with a whale and then you know before I could even really complete that thought I just saw a big commotion in his legs shoot upwards you know three feet clearing the water
2: I felt him kind of open his mouth and then all of a sudden I got thrown and I just landed in the water floating and I was in a lot of pain my legs I, I was sure my legs were broken And I, I said, oh my god, I survived. I got out of that. And I started crying.
0: Humpback whales are about the size of a school bus. Their mouths can be as big as 10 feet, enough room to fit a human. But their throats are only about the size of a person's fist. They eat small crustaceans and fish. Nicola Hodgins of the UK's Whale and Dolphin Conservation told National Geographic that once the whale had Michael in its mouth, it must have realized its mistake and spit him out. A similar encounter with a whale happened in 2019 to a dive tour operator in South Africa. He described swimming along normally and then, quote, the next moment it got dark. Photos taken from his boat show his legs hanging out the side of the whale's mouth as it surfaced. After Michael Packard's encounter with the whale, National Geographic reported that of the 90 known species of whales, only the sperm whale is physically able to swallow a human. But encounters between sperm whales and humans are so rare, they say the chances of it happening are a billion to one. Once Michael was back on land, he was taken to the hospital. His family arrived. He was x-rayed and given an MRI. The doctors told him he would be okay, but that the whale had damaged the ligaments and tendons in his legs. A nurse told him he was incredibly lucky and then asked him if he'd pick lottery numbers for her. Did you ever think once at, you know, when you're in the hospital or I survived, I'm done. I've had one too many chances. I'm not going to risk it anymore.
2: All I was thinking about is how fast I can recover so I can get back in the water. I didn't have an inkling of not continuing on.
0: Two weeks after he was in the mouth of the whale, Michael was back in the water.
2: If I didn't have the water, that's what That's what makes me who I am. I really, really don't know if I could live in this life without fishing and water.
0: He, I, that's him. He's unique. Do you still feel that same way that you did when he was little and you would be waiting for him to come around the point even now? Do you, are you happy to know that he's on land?
3: Absolutely. I still always worry. But he's doing what he loves, and he loves it down there. And what happens to him out at sea here now? I don't know. I don't know.
0: I have to accept. It seems like Michael is a little hard-headed about about certain things, and and he does what he wants. Um, Are you proud of that?
3: Yes. Off the chart. I love that my kids live this bohemian type of life, really. I love his courage and his... He's going
0: to do what he's going to do. Do you, do you think, though, that you created a life for your children which let them do what made sense to them?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: What would happen if you found out that starting tomorrow you had to go and sit in an office at a desk all day?
2: What would happen? Oh my god, I'd lose my mind. No way. And that worries me. As I'm getting older, I'm 58. I know my years are limited, and every year I think that I'm grateful that I have another year of doing this. And when a year's coming up for a new season, I have, you know, trepidation, whether whether I can make it another season. What am I going to do when I'm, if I make it to 70 or 75? And I think about it, but then I, I think I'll still be able to fish, you know? I, I've rigged up my boat for dragon clams, and it's, that's pretty n- not too labor-intensive. So I have a backup.
0: And you're still fishing?
2: Oh, and I'm still fishing, absolutely, till the day I die.
0: The day we went lobstering with Michael and Josiah, it was sunny. The sky was blue. There wasn't much wind. I asked Michael if it was a good day to dive. He said it was perfect on the surface, but that you never know what's under the water. When we got to Hatch's Harbor, Josiah helped Michael with his oxygen tank and his gloves. Shake
1: that other one out. I, sh- I shook it already.
0: Josiah lowered the mask over Michael's eyes, and then Michael swung his legs over the side of the boat and disappeared into the water. Bye-bye. Ooh, this Is Love is created by Lauren Spohr and me, Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Libby Foster, and Samantha Brown. Our technical director is Rob Byers. Engineering by Russ Henry. Learn more about the show on our website, thisislovepodcast.com. If you like the show, tell a friend or leave us a review. It means a lot. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at this is Love Show. We're also on TikTok at criminal underscore podcast, where we post a lot of behind-the-scenes content of both shows. You can see me helping ban those lobsters. This Is Love is recorded at North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Love.